chapter 3. Uh, grab out, turn to your Bible there, grab a pen. We are going to do an expository verse-by-verse -verse walk through 12 verses in James chapter 3. They're all high octane. And to set the stage, I need to tell you this. It was 529 in the morning. The sun had not yet risen in New Mexico, and the sky exploded, first with yellow, then with orange, and then with a gigantic red fireball heading into the air. And what happened is this. The atomic ball, which had been set off for the very first time, exploded. It was rolling, It was going 360 feet a second. It went up 30,000 feet into the air. What you're seeing here now is a video of the first atomic test bomb that was ever set off in the sky in New Mexico. Matter of fact, it was so hot, all that was left at the blast site because of the intense heat was literally green glass. I mean, it blew up everything. It actually was so hot, it melted the sand and turned it to glass. Now, what's interesting about that is this, 21 days later, that same power was harnessed and released in a bomb called Little Boy. It was put in one of our B-29 bombers, flown toward Japan, dropped on Hiroshima, and as the pilot flew away and looked back and saw what happened, Robert Lewis, the co-pilot of the Enola Gay, said, my God, what have we done? And the cockpit flew on in silence. Six years later, the sky in Idaho lit up with that same nuclear power. This time there was no mushroom cloud, no explosion, no sand turned into glass. This time, um, the reactors, the same, it, it, was, it was electricity. And the lights in the town for the very first time were powered by nuclear energy. And it was, I mean, think about it. Came from the exact same source, the exact same reactors, the exact same uranium with a little different. And today about 20% of the power that lights up homes comes from that kind of energy. Now you think about it for a second. Amazing. The exact same uranium, the exact same chemical process can absolutely destroy and wreck a city or it can light up a city. The exact same materials can cause instant death, instant pain, and instant sorrow to those who are witness to it, or that exact same stuff can bring light and life and generate powers for hospitals and homes. That is exactly what James talks about in chapter 3. He says, you, you actually have a weapon. The weapon you have is more dangerous than any atomic weapon. And if you know James chapter 3, he's talking about the, the tongue. And he is literally saying, you carry around in the cockpit of your mouth a human tongue, and from that it can set the world on fire and create havoc and destroy lives and relationships, or it can create light and healing and warm up a home. And James goes after this in chapter 3. And there's really, it's 12 verses with one theme. And here's the theme, the incredible power of the words you use. Okay? And now, by the way, we're going to go after this, but this is going to be, how many of you know already I'm going to need this passage? Okay? The, um, how many of you are going, I might not need it, but the person next to me, they need to, um, they, now you know what's interesting is? This is bad news, because would you agree? We are a nation of talkers. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, you think, we got talk shows, we got talk shows, we got cell phones, all this kind of stuff. Matter of fact, the average American male, if you're an average American male, you will speak enough words in one year to fill 66 books, 800 pages long. Let me put a chart up here. <laughs> this is fun. The, uh, <laughs> 
Anybody kind of get an idea where this is going? <laughs> the, average, the average American male speaks 20,000 words a day. Now, I'm just reporting the facts as I walk through this next one. The, you think it goes up or down? The average American spe female speaks 30,000 words a day. Some of you are going, my husband never talks. No, by the time he's home, he's out of words, and you've got 10,000 left, okay? It's kind of like the guy who said, the guy said, aren't you upset your wife always gets the last word? He goes, no, I'm just glad when she gets to it. Now, the... Uh, <laughs> Verses 1 and 2 introduce the whole section. Okay, you all ready for this? Here we go. Verse 1, James says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know we who teach will be judged more strictly. Okay, why is that? Because teachers talk a lot. Now, before you look at this and go, Oh, this applies to Ray and not to me. Okay, the, um, uh, I'm going to read a whole list of things, and if any one of these is true about you, I want you to raise your hand, okay? Are any of you in here, any of you in here, teachers in a classroom, or you've taught a Sunday school, or you teach a small group? How many of you have people underneath you at work? Do you supervise anybody? Are you mentors to anybody? Any of you mentors? Are any of you parents, or any of you grandparents, or any of you the oldest person in your house, and you have younger brothers and sisters? If any of those apply to you, raise your hand right now. Good. This verse is for you. You are in a teaching role, okay? Now, you, by the way, I also want to say this. A lot of people read this and go, not many of you should become teachers. And you go, oh, good. Then I don't have to pay attention to what James says about using my words. No, it does not say this is important. It does not say there is a different standard for preachers than there is for people. What it says is it's the same standard. It's just people who teach and preach are going to be judged more strictly. Got it? So there's no difference between the language you use and the language I ought to use, okay? It's just, we're going to be, for example, okay, um, you may be going, oh, man, I'm on the, I'm on, I'm a football coach, I'm a Marine Corps driller, I'm, a, I'm at work, and I just dropped some F-bombs because I had to get their attention. You do that, you might be looked at weird. I do that, <laughs> and I'm looking for a new job site. And I should be, wouldn't you agree? Okay. In other words, we got the same standard. You shouldn't be doing that at work, but if I do it, I'm judged more strictly. That makes sense? Yeah. Now, if that verse isn't bad enough, verse 2. Verse 2 starts encouragingly. Circle the word all. We all stumble in many ways. The next time you meet an arrogant Christian that thinks they're better than the rest, you read them that. We all stumble in many ways. Matter of fact, the Bible literally teaches this. There's two kinds of people in the world, imperfect people and Jesus. That's the only categories. And then he says this, we all stumble in many ways. And then he goes, but if anyone who, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is able to keep their whole body in check, my greatest regrets are thinking, why'd I say that? Or why didn't I say that? Oh, yeah. And circle the word all. And some people never do learn to control their tongues. Is anybody else here wired? Just have the ability to say the wrong thing at the wrong time. Anybody else wired like this? Kind of like the stock boy working in the grocery store. And this lady had come up to him and said, is it possible to buy a half a head of lettuce? And he said, let me check. He rolls around. He rolls his eyes. And he walks toward the store manager. And he has no idea she's following her right behind him. And he gets the store manager without knowing there. He says to the store manager, he goes, this crazy old bat wants to buy half a head of lettuce. And then out of the corner of the eye, he sees her 
And so he looks and says, and this fine lady would like to buy the other half. Okay? Our, <laughs> our mouths get us in a lot of trouble, don't they? Okay? So what James does is he has two intro verses, and then this, James is brilliant. You're going to love this section. The next 10 verses, James gives six illustrations and makes five points all about the power of words, okay? And he gives five reasons I need to control, I need to get control of what I say. Number one, he says this, words are small. The tongue is small, but it's powerful. And then he gives two illustrations. He says, man, it's small, but it's powerful. He goes, number one, consider a horse. He goes, we put bits, circle the word bits, tiny little bits in the mouths of horses that can weigh thousands of pounds to make them obey us. We can turn the entire animal. He goes, man, you can have this huge 2,000-pound stallion, put a little tiny girl on top of it, and if there's a bit in the mouth, she can actually control the entire horse, which could kill her. Let me give you another example of this. Um, we just had the privilege of being in Israel for 10 days. It was incredible to walk where Jesus walked. The Bible comes alive in living color in some fresh new ways. Uh, matter of fact, how many of you have been to Israel? How many, how many of you would love in the next uh, five years to do a trip like that? We, I just had, we're just having meetings. We're going to do one trip a year so that everybody can either go on the Apostle Paul trip or the Israel trip. We'll let you know when those are coming, okay? Because I went over there and I went, there's just no better way to deepen your appreciation for the Bible. And, um, and what happened is this, we were actually on the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives, I mean, is where Jesus spent a lot of time. It overlooks Jerusalem. And we're on the Mount of Olives. And we had 90 people with us. So the first group, group one, took their picture. I was in that group. So we took their picture on the Mount of Olives overlooking Jerusalem. The second group, which I'm not in, comes up there. And they're standing there. So I look over at the corner of my eye. I see a camel. And I think, I would love to get a picture of me on a camel. I've never been on a camel. I think it would be a kick thing. Has anybody got a picture of you on a camel? A whole bunch of people. So I say to the bus driver who spoke every language imaginable and was one of those force of nature guys, I go, do you think it's possible for me to get on that camel, get my picture taken? He goes, my brother, anything is possible here in Israel. He grabs me. We go over. He says something in some language to whoever the camel owner is in Bedouin, I think. He says something to this guy, and the guy says something like, yes. We, and so the guy then says something to the camel. The camel then gets down on knees, whatever camels have, okay? It gets down. That, I whipped out my cell phone and took that picture. That is the camel on its knees waiting for me to get on. So the guy goes, get on. So I get on, and I get on the camel, and then I'm going, quick, somebody take a picture and get me off this thing, okay? And so the camel stands up. By the way, camels don't go, they don't stand up like this. They, which end gets up first? The back of the, I had no clue, man. I'm on this camel, relaxed. All of a sudden, wham, you're flipped upside down. You grab this thing, this camel stands up. And then what happens is, the guy, I'm like, get a picture of me and give me off this thing. The guy who owns the camel, I don't think speaks English or not very well. So he goes, he grabs the reins of the camel and he goes, we go on walk. <laughs> he grabs this camel and the problem is, there is no like camels are of Israel paths, okay? There is a very busy street which he grabs his camel and just without looking for traffic, walks out in the middle of the street. Cars are stopping. 
<laughs> Buses are stopping. Total strangers are taking pictures. Um, it's insane. And while this is going on, our other 45 people are standing there and a photographer is getting ready to take their picture on the Mount of Olives overlooking Jerusalem. And then the guy who owns a camel goes, we get in picture. <laughs> Walks me behind the 45 people and then snaps this picture. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, the, and I have seen, now, I am not relaxed. And the reason is this, this is the Mount of Olives. They call it the Mount of Olives because it's a mountain. There, I am on this camel behind these guys. There is about a 150 to 200 foot drop right there. But I'm protected by a 12 inch high wall. And I'm going, this camel, if he gets mad, could just go, boom, and you're gone, okay? And then it was interesting. I survived that. The guy goes, we go back now. I'm going, thank you, very good. So he takes me back. The camel dismounts, and, uh, and then I get off, okay? I'm never doing this again. The, and uh, what I realized is this. That camels are ornery. Wouldn't you agree? If you any, camels are ornery, I don't think they like to be ridden. They certainly don't like going out in traffic. That camel went everywhere that guy took it because he had a guiding thing, okay? That's exactly what he's saying here. He says, man, it's like a bit in the mouth of a horse. He goes, it'll control things. Second is this. Uh, he says, it's like a ship's rudder, verse 4, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. The Queen Mary has three acres of recreational space. Check that out. Matter of fact, how much does the anchor weigh? It, it's equal to the weight of 10 cars. Yet that entire thing is steered by a small rudder which keeps it on or off course. And here's what James is saying. Words are a big deal because words, the words you speak set the tone and direction. He's saying rudders direct, bits direct. Your words will set the direction for your marriage. Would you agree? Your words will set the direction for your kids. Would you agree? Have any of you ever had somebody say something to you and it was so positive it helped you set direction? Have any of you ever had some, somebody say something to you, a parent or whatever, and they said something to you and it was so cruel it derailed you for a while? That's how powerful words are, okay? James says it will set direction. He says they're small, but they're very powerful. Then he goes and says this, they're small, but they can be very destructive. He goes, they're small, but they can be destructive. Verses five and six, he goes, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small what? It's his third illustration, spark. So go the word spark. In 1983, in Australia, one of the biggest fires in the history of the world happened. Get this, it burned 600, not acres, it burned 600 square miles. Houses, livestock, lives were lost, okay? Um, the whole thing was started by a single match. James then turns up the heat in the next verse when he says this, verse 6, the tongue is also a fire, circle the word fire. 
He goes, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire. You can burn up your future with the wrong words. And then he goes, and itself is set on fire by hell. And if you're sitting here going, wait a second, that's a little bit strong, isn't it? Okay, what, you know what? I've been in counseling sessions where a couple will say, he said this, and then she said this, and then I said this, and then all hell broke loose because of words. And James is saying words like a small spark can catch fire and destroy who you are and what you have. Words are small but destructive, small but powerful. Number three, uh, would you agree with this? Words, our lang- our, the words we use, it's tough to tame, tough to tame. And he goes, let me talk about a zoo. And he used another illustration. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed that have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly what? Of deadly poison. You know, a buddy of mine used to live near the San Diego Zoo. He said, they don't talk about this because they don't really like this public. He goes, but animals are breaking out of their cages all the time. He goes, they, he goes, zookeepers get there early to get animals back in their cages if they've broken out at night. He goes, especially embarrassing to the San Diego Zoo was a great ape who was very smart who kept breaking out of his cage and he, they, literally, Ed the ape, and it was embarrassing occasionally because occasionally they would find Ed the ape outside of his cage posing for pictures with tourists in front of his cage. Okay? James says the tongue is like a wild animal always looking for escape. And then look at the last two words of that verse. He says, it's a restless evil full of what? Deadly poison. Circle the words deadly poison. You know what he's saying there? That's the Greek word, and it's actually the word, same words in Greek for snake venom. It's, he, goes, he goes, if you're not careful, words can be snake venom. What, is that, what does he mean by that? Comes out of your mouth and just a few drops can kill you. Have you ever heard this phrase, sticks and stones can, my bones, but will never hear me. Whoever wrote that is an idiot. I probably shouldn't say idiot in this. Um, <laughs> whoever wrote that was unwise. The, uh, they're an idiot. The, um, I mean, if you think about it for a second, you're going, sticks and stones can break your bones. Raise your hand if you've ever had a broken bone. Okay, well, put them way up. Almost everybody in here, okay? You know what's interesting is? Broken bones heal. I got scars. I mean, I played basketball, baseball, blah, blah, blah. I got scars. I had, I've had operations. A matter of fact, has anybody here ever had a knee operation? Raise your hand, knee surgery, okay? A matter of fact, talk to me. Every single guy in here who's ever had knee problems, every guy has the same story. I would have been a pro except for my knees. I mean, why? you just talk to you guys afterwards, okay? The, uh, and you know what's interesting, guys? I got scars, I've had operations, I've had broken bones, all that kind of stuff. And years later, they t- they're pretty much healed up, and all they make is great stories. All the wounds from words, they don't heal up so well, do they? They don't stitch up very well, and they don't make great stories. They are painful memories. It's deadly poison, and the tongue is tough to tame and a few drops can kill you and derail your life. And then he goes on, and he says one other thing. He goes, he goes it's th- your, your tongue, your words will delight or destroy. He goes, it's crazy, like a nuclear explosion, like nuclear power. It can light up a city and warm a house, or it can destroy one. 
And then in verses 9 to 10, he says this, with the tongue we praise our God and Father, and with it we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. He goes, don't come to church and praise God and then go out and trash people. And he really is saying, it's tough to tame and it'll delight or destroy. It's kind of like the old story. Anybody here raised in the South? He goes, there's an old story about a boy in the South whose dad got fed up with their lawnmower and finally bought a new one. And the son said, hey, can I sell our lawnmower? And the dad said, yeah, get rid of that stupid thing. So the kid writes a cardboard sign, lawnmower for sale, and goes and sits on the corner. And about an hour later, a Baptist preacher walks by. Why Baptist preachers are in every joke, I don't know. But a Baptist (laughs) preacher walks by, and the Baptist preacher says, hey, son, does that lawnmower run? And the kid says, yes, sir, it sure does. So the preacher starts yanking and yanking and yanking and yanking and yanking on that cord. And 10 minutes later, after about his 500th yank, this preacher is wet with sweat. And he looks at the young man and says, I don't think it starts. And the kid looks at him and says, mister, you got to cuss at this mower to get it start. That's how my daddy works it. (laughs) (laughs) And the preacher says, son, I've been a Baptist preacher for 18 years. I've been preaching the gospel for 18 years. I haven't sworn in 18 years. And the kid says to him, you keep pulling that string, it'll come back to you. <laughs> Would, <laughs> think you'll get, some of you get that later. They, you know what's interesting is? That's how life works, doesn't it? I come to church, I praise God, then somebody pulls my string. Somebody yanks my chain. Somebody cuts in front of me in a Bayside parking lot. Praise the Lord. You're an idiot. The, um, the, um, and he goes, this shouldn't be how it works. By the way, it's stunning. Uh, Kurt, myself, Lincoln, or whoever, um, one of the things I love about Bayside is, uh, watch this. How many of you are on social media of any kind, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, anything, okay? You know what's been a blast? A lot of people have figured out the best way to spread the Christian faith is take messages and quotes and just put them out there. And so we got more people going, this was awesome in church, or this quote from Pastor Ray or Pastor Kurt, or whatever, and it gets sent out there, which means it gets multiplied by thousands and thousands. It's a great thing. So occasionally somebody will go, hey, this person mentioned your sermon, so I'll go online, I'll go, how cool is that they mentioned me? And then I go, I wonder who this is. So I start going through their Instagram pictures or their Facebook stuff, and all of a sudden you're going, whoa, this sermon was incredible. And the next six pictures, they're at a club, okay? And gigantic 15 empty glasses in front of them. They're going, this is awesome. I'm getting hammered. I'm getting faded with my bros down here. And I'm going, great sermon. And now I'm getting plastered. And I'm going, do you have any idea what you're communicating? Do you have any idea? And I actually think America is getting fed up with people who go praise God at church and don't live like it anywhere else. And that's exactly what James is saying here. And by the way, before I move on, the fifth point is the most important, but what I've done is this. We do a series around here called Refuel. They're devotionals. Uh, How many of you get them? Okay. Uh, If you don't, here, it's going to go up on the screen right here. It's a free deal. We do five-minute morning devotionals to lift your day every day. Uh, And matter of fact, your phone, bam, 7.01 in the morning, your phone will ring, and wham, it's a deal from us. A lot of our business guys listen to it on the way to work. And all you got to do is text refuel to John 3.16. Text refuel to 56316, and every morning at 7 in the morning, you'll hear from God every morning, okay? This page 
I'm going to cover this this week. Five mornings, five times, okay? In other words, it's how can I get better control and how can I manage my mouth? And Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I have a great story I'm going to tell you about a Marine Corps drill sergeant who became a Christian but came into church with all of his old language. Kind of a cool thing. The, um, and, but here's, look up here for a second. I think if James had written the book of James in 2014, instead of just talking about the tongue, he would have talked about texting. Wouldn't you agree? Because most people these days spend more time talking with their thumbs than they do their mouth. And so, I'll cover this in devotionals, but I want to cover three of them right now. Tips for smart texting. Okay? I know this is moving from preaching to meddling. Here we go. Number one is this. Think before you respond. Think before, before you hit send. Just go, is this going to destroy or is it going to develop? Is this going to bless or this is going to blast? Okay? Uh, do you really want that to be out there forever and ever and ever and ever? By the way, one of the things, I love Facebook, I love Instagram, and I love Twitter, and I love all of that kind of stuff, because we hire a lot of people around here. We bring people in to work with teenagers all the time, and when somebody sends us an application, all we do, we check their Facebook, we check, the, uh, we check all of their social media, and a lot, I'm reading stuff, and I'm going, there is no way I want that person within 50 miles of our teenagers. Does that make sense? Okay, so think before, think before you respond. Number two is this. If you can't say it in front of your spouse, don't say it. If you can't say it in front of your spouse, just don't say it. I also want to give you a texting rule. Here's, you know the problem with, you know the problem with social media? A lot of great things about it. You can forward messages, share your faith, all this kind of stuff, keep connected to people. The one downside is this. For the first time in human history, people have 24-7 access to you. Matter of fact, everybody, people you don't even know, people you don't even like, have 24-7 access to you. They have the same access to you as your family. This should not be. Does that make sense? And everybody that texts you or does anything you expect you to get back to them instantly, don't they? Like somehow they can, they can interrupt your marriage, interrupt your time with your kids, interrupt whatever you're doing, interrupt you in other words, and demand you get back to them instantly. I think we need a new rule around here, like an 11th commandment. You do not have to text back just because somebody texted you. There are some people that should have 24-7 access to me, and uh, hold your applause, I don't have time. The, um, my, wife, my wife should have 24-7 access to me. My kids should have 24-7 access to me. A few close friends should have 24-7 access to me, and nobody else should have that kind of access or expect me to get back to them immediately. Does that make sense? Yeah. And the same thing's with you. I think that kind of thing is wrecking marriages, ruining homes, wrecking relationships, and um, does this make sense? I'll talk about that more in the devotional this week. Let me give you the sixth one down there. Here it is. Don't drink and drive and don't text angry. Don't drink and drive and don't text angry. Lots of people will say something on social media that they would never say face to face. Uh, what we tell people is this, man, if you're going to have a disagreement with somebody on our staff, our staff rule is this, have it face to face. That way healing can occur. Healing almost never occurs. Matter of fact, things get worse, not better, when you have a disagreement on social media, doesn't it? Okay? And by the way, I'll cover all of this this week. Um, if you want to be meddled with even more, great, yeah, tune in. Okay? And back to number five. To wrap this up, here we go. Words are small but powerful. 
Words are small but destructive. James says the tongue is tough to tame. It'll delight or destroy. And what he's saying is this. What's really going on is it'll reveal what's inside. He goes, all the tongue does is reveal what's really going on inside. James can consider the source. Can fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? No. He goes then, here's another. Can a fig tree bear olives? The answer is no. Can a grapevine bear figs? No. Can, can a salt spring produce fresh water? No. James is saying, what you say is basically revealing what's going on in the inside. I'll cover this this week in our devotionals, but he's saying this, the root problem is this. If I have a problem with my words, I really have a heart problem, and it's worse than I thought. In other words, if I have a problem with my words, I really have a heart problem because Jesus said in Matthew 12, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. If I have a problem with my tongue, it's much more serious than I think. I got a heart problem. And it's, take a spiritual EKG. If words that come out of me are harsh, it means I've got a heart that is filled with anger. Okay? And that's how, that, he's basically going, that's how it's right. And matter of fact, maybe the best way to put it is this. Um... Your words reveal who you really are. This was unbelievable. This was in the newspapers. I, you can't make this stuff up. A visitors to a zoo were outraged when the African lion they had come to see started barking instead of growling. <laughs> the zoo staff couldn't afford a lion. So they just a dog, a Tibetan Mastiff, a very large dog as a lion, and then groomed him to look like a lion to try to fake it. Would you like to see a picture of this? Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> is that awesome? Now, the problem is, by the way, does that look like a lion? That looks pretty much like a lion to me. Matter of fact, if, in, if I had that lion, if that lion walked, if that dog walked out on stage here, people would be screaming and running out here, okay? I'm actually thinking about getting one for my backyard. Um, the, you know what's interesting is? And there's everybody, people had gone, for weeks people had gone, saw the lion, wow, looked at the lion, all this kind of stuff, and it looked like a lion until it barked. In other words, it looked like the real thing until it opened its mouth. That is exactly what James is saying. I may look like the real thing. I may look like a Christian. I may look like the genuine article. But if you want to know who I really am, wait till I open my mouth. And then you'll discover what's on the inside, which means this. The only real solution for God-honoring living and great relationships and healthy homes and a healthy church and a healthy life and good friendships is this. I need a changed heart. I need a changed heart. That's why the psalmist, David wrote in Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart. And John, if you want to come out, this message isn't done. By the way, is this, raise your hand if you're going, I probably needed to hear this. I'm with you. The, um, this message isn't done because Monday through Friday, we will continue to go after this because I actually think this, if Christians in America ever got their words right, our reputation would change and people would flock to Christ because they'd go, that's exactly what we need. Would you agree? All God's people said, amen. amen.